Well, good morning, everybody. Like Joel said, it was a little uh, hectic putting together worship team today. Apparently, a lot of folks are out, and uh, last-minute decision to uh, have me fill the pulpit today, so thanks for entertaining my ramblings this morning. Um, it was really cool. Came in this morning, was chatting with Jewel before the first service, and she said that Pastor Steve is going to go through a series in Proverbs for our um, scripture memorization and it was funny because as I was talking with Christine, when Pastor Steve asked me to, to fill in this morning, I was trying to figure out, all right, Lord, what, what do you have for the congregation today? What, what message are you laying on my heart? And number two in, in the lineup was actually just preaching from Proverbs. I said, you know what? Anytime Pastor Steve asks me to preach, I'm just going to go through the Proverbs, chapter by chapter, one by one. So that was number two. But that's not what you're going to get this morning. <laughs> this morning, we're going to talk about ministering to our youth the role of parents and of the church. But before we dig into that, will you join me and let's go before the Lord in a word of prayer and ask him to bless this time. Good and gracious Heavenly Father, you are the creator of all things and we thank you for the gift of life. We thank you for the, the gift of family and for the instruction that you've given us on how to faithfully live out our lives as a church family, as, uh, an individual, as individual families. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be present this morning, that you would be active in the hearts of the hearer. And Lord, I pray that you would speak through your word through me this morning uh, to bring forth a message that changes the way we see each other around us, in particular our youth. Lord, give us a heart for ministry to our youth that we might do a mighty work that brings glory to your name on this earth. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so yesterday, I had the privilege of attending my second child's graduation, Victoria. She graduated high school yesterday. And so all the other graduates out there, a round of applause for you too. I know it's coming up, but um, it's still, as a parent, it's exciting to see your kids reach that educational milestone in their life and know that they've accomplished so much in the scholastic role. But it was also so encouraging because this particular um, graduation ceremony was, it, it was smaller than your typical um, institutionalized education graduation. It was 22 students, but it was really neat because most of the families who were there had, you know, four, five, six kids. So you can imagine, multiply that by the parents and then the extended family, and the place was packed. And it was so encouraging to see uh, the, the families put together a slideshow of each of the graduates from when they were little ones all the way up until now and, and got to give a, a blessing over their child as they were walking up to receive their diploma. And it just, it really struck me as um, I was watching that and listening, what an important ministry our youth really are. And so this morning, I hope to, to leave you guys with three things. Number one, that the Bible teaches us that it is the primary responsibility of the parents, you the parents, to minister to your children. You guys are number one in that role of ministering to our youth. Number two, Parents are not the only ones that are charged with this responsibility. The church family as a whole, we share in the responsibility of ministering to these young ones, to our youth. And number three, like I said before, that that duty, this might very well be the most important, the most urgent task that any one of us have right now. And, and I feel like every time I come up here, I'm like, 
railing on us as a society. But it's hard not to when you look around and you see what a terrible job we're doing as a society. And so I'm going to go ahead and continue railing. And I'm just going to say, I think that we are in large part failing to minister to our youth in the way God intended. And so today, I don't want to rail. I hope to encourage and for you guys to leave here wanting to um, maybe do things a little bit differently, maybe seeing the youth different than you see them now. When you look around the room and you see the youth who are sitting here who would otherwise be up in junior church, and you think about what is your role? What should you be doing with these youth? Hopefully, it'll be a little bit different after you leave here today. That said, not everybody here, not all of the youth here that come into this building, either now or during co-op or during youth group or during any other of our ministries to the youth, not all of them live in a Christian home. And so it's very, very important. It's vital that you guys really receive this message and take to heart what the charge is, what the task is. And I'm just going to give my own life as an example. And I want to preface this by saying, my parents, I have fantastic, wonderful, loving parents who taught me morals, who taught me good values. And those morals and values that they taught me were rooted in the Judeo-Christian value set. That's where they came from. However, I didn't know that that's where they came from. I didn't understand where the authority for the right and the wrong that they taught me came from. I just took for granted what mom and dad said is true. Well, That's not how it should be. And that's why we need to be prepared as a body of Christ, as a family of believers, to step in and take on that responsibility, if need be, for the young ones around us who might not have the benefit of hearing that at home. So that's a part of what we're going to talk about today, what we're going to learn. So let's let's continue on. Let's take a look at why ministering to our youth is not just for the parents of our children. In fact, it's not just to those who are or have been parents in the traditional sense of the word. Maybe some of you here have young children in your home right now and you feel like, all right, this message is spot on. I need to hear this. This is what we need to talk about. You're, you're faced with this every single day of your life, ministering to your kids. Maybe some of you have grown children that are out of the house. Guess what? This message is still for you. Maybe some of you are grandparents and have grandchildren. This message is still for you. And maybe you have younger siblings still living at home with mom and dad. This message will benefit you. Maybe you have no children at all. Guess what? This message is still relevant to you. In all of these cases, you may, and if you're a mature Christian, you should still have children. What do I mean by that? What am I talking about? Let's look at a couple of passages and see why that is. But before we do that, when someone at church is confused about what connecting with the youth really means, I want you guys to know, you don't have to start dressing up like the kids and playing kickball and and listening to their music. That is not what we're talking about this morning. In fact, I think that this probably scares a lot of people away from wanting to engage with the youth because you feel like if I can't connect with them like this, they're not going to want to listen to me. That's nonsense. That's a lie from the pit of hell. The kids need to know you where you're at. You don't necessarily need to be where they're at. Okay. And I want to throw up just a couple of statistics. You guys probably know from the previous times I've been up here, I like to look at statistics. So I'm going to throw a couple of statistics up 
that give us a little bit of a glimpse into why this is so important. This is a projected size of the majority of religion groups for 2023 throughout the whole entire world. So if you were to survey every person in the world and ask them, what religion do you, do you adhere to? This is what you would see. What percentage is Christian on that chart? About a third, right? How many of you think, based on the direction and the trajectory that we see in the world around us, that a third of people in the world are actually followers of Jesus Christ? No. Guess what? Let's take a look at this same question for the United States of America projected for the year of 2023. There's not an actual um, like Pew Research poll that's been done in 2023, but there have been projections made. And this is what it looks like. 82% of people would identify themselves as Christian. How many of you think that sounds right based on what we see in our society today? No, definitely not. This, I think, is evidence that we're failing. We, as a church family, as a body, are failing to teach our youth what a Christian even is. When these kids can walk around and they can say, I am a Christian, but I think in certain circumstances, abortion is okay. I'm a Christian, but I think the Bible is just a book of good moral values. It's not really true history. It's just telling us stories about how to live a good life. I'm a Christian, but I think truth is relative, and values are owned individually by everybody. When these people can walk around, when our youth can walk around, and that can be what they believe, and still call themselves a Christian, church, we've done something wrong, or we're not doing something right that we should be doing. Amen? Okay. So, Let's take a look at a passage that talks about what I said before, when even if you don't have children, you should, if you're a mature Christian, have children. This is Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, where he says, I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you, as my dear children. Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Do you see what's going on here? Paul is saying, how many of you know Paul was single? Had no wife, had no children, right? And yet Paul is claiming to have children. What kind of children are these that he's talking about? These are not natural children. These are his spiritual children. And ministering to our spiritual children is not unlike ministering to our natural children. The two are very similar. In fact, we see that Paul encourages the church and says, look, you should not remain on milk. You have to move off of milk and get onto meat. In order for somebody, for a, a, an infant, to move off of milk and get onto meat, they need a parent there to nurture them. They need a parent there to teach them how to eat and to feed them and then to turn them over and, and teach them to feed themselves. It's, it's not dissimilar with our spiritual walk. We need the same exact thing. And so the point here in this passage is you should have the, the necessary skills to train up a spiritual infant into a mature, meat-eating Christian. And if you have those skills, you have the skills necessary to engage with our youth in a similar way. And it's your responsibility to do that. 
In fact, we see Paul again in Philippians where he says, but you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served me, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. And so this is what happens when we properly engage with our youth. They come and work alongside us. So if the youth are not working alongside us in our ministry as we go about our walk as faithful followers of Jesus Christ, we're missing something. There's a part of our walk with Christ that's missing. We should have the youth engaged with us. And there's a very practical reason for doing this, which we're going to learn about later. So regardless of your position as married or single, having given birth or not, having adopted a child or not, if you're active in sharing your faith and being used by God to bring the lost into a relationship with Jesus, you have a role in the birth of spiritual children, and you become a parent when you do that. The job of bringing up baby Christians from spiritual infancy into a place of spiritual maturity is similar to ministering to the youth, like I said before. And so you're required to both be spiritually mature and sacrificial in your own, with your time, and be a sanctified example of a follower of Jesus, of Jesus Christ. If you're not doing that, you can't bring these infants, these spiritual infants, our actual youth, up. You can't participate in bringing them up and ministering to them in such a way as for them to learn the fear and admonition of the Lord. And so, this is our charge from God to engage in ministering to our youth. We read here in Deuteronomy, these commands I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. And right after saying impress them on your children, Moses goes on to say, talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the doorframe of your houses and on your gates. What's the point in this uh, illustration that Moses is giving us. It's that we're supposed to be living out our Christian walk all, the, well, at this time, not our Christian walk, but we're supposed to be living out our faith. Today, in, in New Testament um, vernacular, we're supposed to be living out our Christian faith every single moment of the day, from the time you wake up till the time you go to sleep. It's supposed to be a part of everything you do. It's supposed to be in your work. It's supposed to be in your uh, recreational time. It's supposed to be in your passive time as you're just walking down the road. It's a part of everything that you are. And guess what? Our youth are there with us. What did we see? Impress them on your children as you're walking down the road. I don't think that, that um, Moses was just talking about parents. We, as a church family, as a society, have a responsibility to impress this on the children collectively, here in this building, out on the street, in the schools where we serve and we work, in the workplaces wherever we are, in the stores where we see the youth. We have a responsibility to be living this out faithfully, boldly, to change their lives for the better. So with that being said, um, we need to put things in their proper order. We've kind of already gone there a little bit, but I want to emphasize the importance of this order. Um, did I miss a... Yeah, natural of order of precedence. All right, number one, God is at the top of all of this. So yes, parents fit in here, but God, as I mentioned, is the authority at the top of all of this. So as a parent, 
you need to embrace and teach your kids, as I mentioned before, Jesus uh, came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He has all of the authority. So when we teach our kids right and wrong in the home, it's very, very important, parents, that we emphasize that it's not our authority that we're using to communicate right and wrong to them. It's the authority that's been given to us by Jesus Christ that is what defines right and wrong and where we're coming from when we minister to them in this way. All of our actions are driven by God and a biblical model. We look to him as our primary example in all things, including ministering to our youth. So here's another sort of sidebar thought. Note that in his actions, our Heavenly Father, he doesn't just provide guidance and direction to his natural children, which in a biblical sense we would refer to as Israel, right? He would refer to Israel as his natural children. He also does this for his adopted children, the Gentiles. And so we're going to look at a passage that should be familiar to all of you. In fact, most of us should have it memorized. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us what? to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. So he's adopted all of us into his family and he loves all of us as if we were his natural children. And so we, as the body of Christ, we can love the youth in our family of believers here, even if they're not our own natural children in the same way God loves his adopted children. You can look to the youth in this building as your adopted children. You should love them as if they were your own because that's what God does. That's what he does for each and every one of us. So the example that God gives us shows that our responsibility to minister to youth, both, both physical and spiritual, is not just to the natural born children, but to all who are adopted in as a part of the family of God. Number two, parents have the primary responsibility to point our youth, their children, to God as this authority. So the family unit is the building block of society. For that reason, the natural order of responsibility for the ministering of children goes to the family, to the parents, to mom and dad. And we see this all the way back in Genesis chapter 2, where we read, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. How many of you have ever struggled with the question of, what does it mean to become one flesh? What does that really mean? The two become one flesh. I think there's a very practical explanation for what it means for the two to become one flesh. Much like we saw, where did Eve come from? She came from the rib of Adam, right? God, God took a rib from Adam and made Eve. Well, the two becoming one flesh is, I think, both a very natural and a supernatural event that God is describing here. Very natural in the sense that a husband and wife come together, and what happens nine months later? One flesh is born from the two. And so when we see that the two come together and become one flesh, I really think that very practically, that's what God is talking about here. He's talking about the children that are going to come forth from the fruit of your marriage. Now, that's not to say that if there is a marriage that comes together and doesn't end up ultimately resulting in children that 
there's something missing. That's, that's not the message that God is communicating here. What he's talking about is just the natural order that the way, he, the way he's designed the world to work. And when it works the way that it's been designed to work, that's just the natural outflow of those two coming together. And so we see with that the foundation for society that God has set up. The two become one flesh, they have children, and they have the responsibility to minister to those children that come out of that marriage. That's the foundation of our society. In Joshua, we read this, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. It is the role of the father in particular, but the parents collectively to be the primary ministers and the compass, the moral compass, the spiritual compass in the household. It is not the role of the pastor. It is not the role of the youth pastor. It is not the role of any other ministry or ministry leader who's out there. It is your job as the parents of these children to be that primary person in their life. And you need to have the conviction of Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And it's your job to train them up in the way that they should go. Uh, so we see here in Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. So we see that Paul is pointing back to the Old Testament. He's saying, Children, obey your parents in the Lord that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. And then he pivots, and he goes from the responsibility of the children to obey their parents, right over to fathers do not exasperate your children. So some negative instruction, don't do this, but here's what you should do. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So we see specifically in the New Testament that Paul is saying, parents, it's your job. Bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So however awesome the youth ministry is at the church that you go to, and I know you have a pretty awesome one here. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> it's still your primary responsibility. You guys do this. If there were no youth ministry here, your children shouldn't be missing out on anything. They should be getting everything they need at home. They should be being fed by you. But that doesn't relieve us as a church family of our responsibility because next comes community, number three, the church family. Now there's a phrase that I think is maybe a good phrase, but it's been tainted a little bit by politics. The phrase is, it takes a village. How many of you remember when Hillary Clinton used that in the context of, it's the government that is the village that should be helping to step in and take care of our children? I can't find anywhere in scripture that government intervening in the ministering to of our children is ever spoken of in a positive sense in scripture. I can't find that anywhere. And so I don't think it is the government's role or responsibility to minister to our children. In a societal sense, it is the church. It is the family of Christ. We have that responsibility to augment the parents, to support the, the family unit with the parents of the children. That's our job as the church. So what happens is, Taken out of a biblical context, I think that this, this notion of it takes a village can lead to an abrogation or um, an improper turning over of responsibility that can be destructive 
to the family, can be destructive to our youth, can be destructive to the church. When we turn over responsibility, we saw this the last time when I talked about church polity, when we take responsibility that lies on us and we give it to someone else, that's an improper thing for us to do. We shouldn't do it. And the result of giving responsibility that God intended for us over somewhere else, can we expect good results from that? Does anybody think that's going to turn out well when we try doing it a way that God didn't instruct us to do it? I don't see any hands going up, so we're all in agreement. So, now this village, the village that it takes to raise our children, yes, it can and does include our spiritual leaders. One example that we have, and it's, it's an outlier, so it's not something that we should look at as the model to follow. It's an outlier, but it does exist. It's um, Hannah and Samuel, where she provides an example where Hannah and her husband, and I, I don't know his name, I just wrote it down as I read over preparing for this, uh, Ramathium, Hannah and Ramathium allowed the priest Eli to take full responsibility for the raising of, of their son. If you know the story, Hannah was barren. She wasn't having children, and so she prayed to the Lord. In fact, Eli heard, saw her praying and thought she was drunk. And she's like, no, no, my Lord, I'm not drunk. My spirit is broken. I'm barren, and I haven't had children, and I just, you know, I want to be blessed. I want to have children. And if you recall, she was the second wife of uh, Ramathium, and his other wife would mock and ridicule her for not being able to have children. And so she prayed and said to the Lord, if you will, if you will open my womb, if you will bless me, I will dedicate this child to you. And so that's what she did. And she turned him over to Eli and let Eli play that primary role. So there is an example in Scripture of our spiritual leaders playing a role in the raising of our children. But again, that's an outlier. That is not the model that is set. It's just an example that shows there is a place for, for our spiritual leaders to play a role in the ministering to of our children. We should expect them to do that. Um, another example that we see in Scripture uh, of the community playing a role, at least it, it, this is an indirect example. It's not where God says, yes, the community plays a role. We just see it happening in the way that the, the Israelites were living their life at this time in history. And I'm thinking about Luke 24, uh, chapter 2, verse 41. Uh, we see the example of Mary and Joseph allowing the young Jesus, only 12 years old, to be apart from them with the rest of the faith community as they were making the trek back from Jerusalem while they were celebrating the Passover. And if you read that story, you're going to see, here's a little 12-year-old Jesus. I mean, imagine you're 12-year-old, and you're traveling for an entire day. And after you're done traveling for the day, you stop before you continue with your next part of the journey the next day, and you're like, hey, where's little Jesus? He's gone! And they have to go all the way back to Jerusalem to find him. How is that even possible? The only way that's possible is if the community was such a tight-knit community that they were okay leaving their child, the Son of God, in the care of other people and expecting that those other people were going to be good examples to him, that they would be teaching him the things that he should know as they were walking because what are we supposed to do as we walk? Yeah, we're supposed to be talking about the commandments of God. We're supposed to be talking about everything that he's prepared for us to do and all the good things that he has for us, right? That's what we're supposed to be doing as we walk. And so if they're walking from Jerusalem back home and they're leaving Jesus in the company of others, what do you think their expectation is that those other people who were in that company were doing for Jesus while they were walking? That 
So what should be the expectation amongst ourselves here in this church? If you, do you feel comfortable to leave your youth in the care of others here? And do you feel comfortable somebody else expecting that you're going to play that role with their kids? I'm going to say probably not. I think in American society, we've become very individualized. We have become sort of like an island unto ourselves. This is my family, my responsibility. Mama bear, you stay back. My kids, my rules. Yeah, true, you have the primary responsibility, but if we're all faithfully following Jesus Christ, if we all love the Lord, if we are all immersed in the Word, if we are all ourselves seeking to grow and to be disciplers, shouldn't we feel comfortable having each other have some part in, in the ministering to of our children? Yeah, I think we should. But unfortunately, we're losing that. Maybe some places we've lost it, but we're losing that. And we want to see that come back. And the only way that happens is if we are a family that's comfortable with each other, that if we truly fellowship and know with each other, know each other, then we get that level of comfort and we can do like Mary and Joseph did and just let our kids walk up with somebody else for a day while you travel from Jerusalem. So next, Proverbs 22.6. How many times have we, any parents in the room, how many times have you recited this passage to yourself over and over and over again? Train a child in the way they should go and when he is old, he will not turn from it. And we sort of pray that over ourselves like, I want my child to follow Jesus. Please, Lord, when he gets old, I'm doing the best I can. Help him to follow Jesus. Help her to follow Jesus all the days of her life. This passage, interestingly, yes. Is it, is it for parents? Most definitely. Why? The book of Proverbs. Who was it written by? Solomon. Who was he writing it to? His son, right? He was writing a book of wisdom for his son. Son, this is wisdom for you. Remember, Solomon, when God said, hey Solomon, guess what? Ask me for anything and I'll give it to you. What did Solomon ask for? He asked for wisdom. And so he's recorded in Scripture as being the wisest man who ever lived. And so if Solomon writes a book of wisdom, there's probably some pretty good nuggets in there that you want to hold on to, right? And he's writing this to his son. So yes, the application of this passage most definitely is a father to a son and so it has, in a sense, instruction to his son for being a parent. That is absolutely true. But notice that the, the way the passage is written, it says, train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. It doesn't say train your child. This, in, this book, the book of Proverbs, yes, it was written from Solomon to his son, but it was written for all of us. That's who it was written for. And so I don't think the application of this passage is limited just to parents. I think that this applies to us as the family of God. We should all be a part of training the youth in the way they should go so that when they are old, they will not depart from it. And I think that this is uh, phrasing it, God is phrasing it here in a very positive sense. This is something for you to do. But there is also a warning in Scripture for us as we minister to the youth around us. And it comes in Matthew 18. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, 
it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Why is that? The influence that you have over the youth is significant. And Jesus is, is emphasizing the importance of you doing the right thing with that influence that you have. And this influence comes not just in an active positive sense, it comes in a passive negative sense as well. Anyone then who knows the good that he ought to do and does not do it sins. And so if you know that God has given you a charge to play a role in ministering to our youth and you fail to do it, what are you doing? Now, I'm not going to put these two verses together and say, if you don't do what you're supposed to do, you're guilty of Matthew. Uh, I, th I think that that really is reserved for those who purposefully become a stumbling block in the path of our youth. But for the sense of us being encouraged and challenged to do something different, I'd like you to think of it in that context. If you know there's something that you're supposed to do, like let's say maybe somebody, uh, a youth in a church, fills in on a Sunday where there was nobody who was here to play the piano. Wouldn't it be nice for that youth to hear a word of encouragement from you at the end of the service? of What a good job they did. Or maybe for somebody to drop a note in the mail. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you the church that we used to go to, there was an older couple. Anytime some youth in the church would do something that stood out, you know, like I said, playing the piano or serving at um, an event where work needed to be done, this couple would handwrite just a little note card, a postcard or something, and mail it to every one of the kids who was involved in doing that. And as the parent of those kids who had received one of those notes several times, I can tell you it made a difference. It was an encouragement to them. I think that that couple, they were living out their role as the body of Christ. They were living out the charge that we've been given to minister to the youth. Something as simple as taking five minutes to just write a note in your own hand to pen that out and drop it in the mailbox with a stamp and let it show up a couple days later. What an encouragement to our youth. And so look for those opportunities. How many of you can say, looking around at the youth that are in this building, after a service on Sunday, You've ever looked at one of them and thought to yourself, I'm glad they came to church today. I'm glad that that young person is here. Or on a Wednesday night when they're here, Pastor Steve says it all the time, I know, but how many of you have ever looked and said, you know what? I'm glad that those kids are here and they're not out carousing and, and throwing in with the whole lot of them out there who are confused about whether they're a boy or a girl. Instead, they're here, hearing the word of God, fellowshipping, with other young believers, learning to follow Jesus Christ. A word of encouragement. You know what? I see you here every week. I'm glad you come. That's what we're talking about. That's what we're, it's that simple. It's that easy. You don't have to put a bandana on your head, cut your jeans, play gaga. You don't have to do all that. Just love the kids. Just show them that you notice them and that they matter to you. And there's another way that you can do that in a very practical sense. When there's a work day, when there's a breakfast, when there's an event where the body's called together, you show up. You're here. They need to see you living out your faith 
like I said earlier, like Scripture says, sacrificing of yourself. Saying, you know what? I know that the gutters at home need to be cleaned. I know that my lawn is overgrown. I know that I have whatever it is that needs to be done at your house at home. Guess what? It's still going to be there. When that event happens here, you come, you sacrifice, you serve, and then you go take care of stuff at home. When the kids see us doing that, when they see us giving up of our time, our talent, and our treasure for the kingdom of God, it means something to them. Even though you're not directly speaking to them, you're speaking to them with your actions. And that is also a part of ministering to our youth. And so again, anyone who knows the good that he ought to do, I can guarantee you, I know this without a doubt, I could probably say this without exception, I could look at it every single one of you, and the reason I know this is because I've experienced it so many times, where God says, yes, I want you to go and do that. And you're just like, oh, I'm just so tired, I don't want to do that. And so you don't come, and you don't do it. Or you say to yourself, yeah, but I have responsibilities at home that I have to tend to. It would be irresponsible for me not to take care of those things and to come here. Somebody else will do that. Nope. Come, be a part of the body, and do those things that need to be done And I promise you, all that stuff that needs to be done at home will still be there, and eventually it will get done. It's okay for the grass to be long for another day. Especially when it hasn't rained in three weeks. All right. Um, In Titus chapter 2, we see the encouragement for older women to lead younger women by example, showing them, uh, and the same for, for younger men. So then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. And similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Set them an example by doing what is good. So this is the scripture to support the little diatribe that I just went off on. It's important for us to be busy doing what is good. And I, I don't, we just, we need to be sacrificial with our time. There's one thing that we can't get any more of in this life, and it's time. You can always get more money, you can always find a new friend, but you can't get more time. So if there's anything that you want to be generous with to build up riches in heaven, be generous with your time. And use it to demonstrate to the youth among us that you love Jesus Christ and let them see that. Now, the next thing that we need to do is understand the hierarchy of this responsibility. Uh, Now now that we understand the hierarchy of this responsibility, let's talk about the application in our lives. Step one, having our hearts in the right place. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. How much do you treasure the youth that you see here today? More than silver and gold? Do we say that or do we really mean it? What's the evidence that we really treasure up the youth that are in this building? It's what we do, right? Kind of like we say the evidence that we really believe in Jesus Christ is whether or not we obey him. What do we do? If we say we treasure the youth, but we do nothing to show it, do we really treasure them? 
No. And we get what we deserve. Because what's going to happen if we don't minister to those kids, if we don't truly value them and treasure them? What's going to happen? They're not going to grow up following Jesus Christ. Or they're going to think they're following Jesus Christ. And it's a false Jesus. It's one that lets them believe that abortion is okay, that truth is relative, that um, you name it. Whatever the lie is, that the, the boys can be girls and vice versa, everything that we see going on today, and yet they can still be a Christian. And that's not true. So, we've all heard the saying, you can't take it with you to heaven, right? What is the one thing that you can take with you to heaven? There's one thing. What is it? It's a person. Now, you don't really actually get to take them with you, but you can play a role in them ending up in heaven, in them being in heaven. And what's the role that you can play? You can minister to them. You can witness to them. You can present the gospel to them so they can be washed clean by the blood of Jesus through their faith. And if you do that, you're storing up treasures in heaven. What is God talking about when he says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven? He must mean something. What can you bring with you to heaven? It's those people. That's what you're going to store up in heaven. That's what really matters. That's all that really matters. The clothes on our back, the building that we're in, the cars that we drive, the house we live in, none of that matters. Moths and rust are going to destroy it all. But what matters? Those boys right there. That boy right there. Those kids right there. They are what matters. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven and make sure that they're going to be there with you on the other side of eternity. Our youth are the future of the world. Literally, they're going to determine much about the course of everything in this world. Church, the government, the military, our hospital care system, our industry and business, they are the future of all of that. What's it going to look like if all of that is run by people who don't love Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? I'll tell you what it's going to look like. Just look around. That's what it looks like. How many of you like what it looks like right now? I know I don't. And that's why I have, I have such a passion for pouring into our youth. Because if we're going to change this course, if we're going to see things go in a direction, we could see a revival. I am not a defeatist. I don't... I, look, I pray Jesus comes tomorrow, okay? I'm, I'm ready. Whatever your eschatological view, you know, rapture, no rapture, preach of whatever, I, I want Jesus to come tomorrow, okay? But it doesn't have to be right now. There can be a revival. We can see this nation turn back to Jesus. God wants it. He wants to see everyone come unto, self, come unto a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. He wants it. It can happen. So let's work for it. The... the world has been very, very patient and very persistent and very purposeful in how they've been doing what they've been doing to turn our society to where it is right now. Who have they been targeting? Our kids. Some of you work in the public schools. You know, you see it. It's wicked what they're doing to our kids. And it is a blessing that we have Christian moms and dads, people, who want to serve in that area. We need more. We need more Christians taking back our public institutions. That's what we need to do. 
And so, with the youth being the future of this nation, is there anything more important, like I said in the beginning, anything more urgent than pouring into our kids and training them up in the way they should go and letting them see you? Point your finger right at yourself. They need to see me as the example in this life. Is there anything more important, anything more urgent? No, I don't think so. Not building up a a massive armament to fight Russia, not developing something more powerful than a hypersonic missile. None of that is more important than pouring into our youth and turning their hearts towards Jesus Christ. It's the most urgent, most important thing that we need to do right here and now. And so lastly, I want to leave you with this thought. I want to talk a little bit about our youth ministry. I want to mention a few things about what it isn't, and then a few things about what it is. First, what it isn't. It is not a replacement for parents doing their job. Okay? If you are in, these, in this building, sit in these seats, if you're a Christian parent, it's your job to minister to your children and bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. It is not our job as a youth ministry to do that for you. It's not the primary spiritual education for your youth. Yes, we are going to pour the word of God into your children. We are going to challenge them to learn. But I'm going to tell you, if they don't see you doing it yourself, if they don't have you teaching them to do it in your own home from your mouth, dads, dads, I'm looking specifically at you, if they don't see you doing it and they don't get it from you, it's not going to stick. What we teach them is superficial compared to what they hear from you, dads. You have to do it. Lead your household. And number three, it's not the primary influence over whether or not our youths grow into a mature Christian. They could come to youth group faithfully every day of their life as long as they're age eligible and not grow into a mature Christian if they're not seeing you live your life out in faith to Jesus Christ. Hypocrisy in the home is the number one reason that children walk away from the faith. Number one. So what is the youth ministry then? If it's not good for any of that stuff, why are we even here? Number one, it's a tool to complement the training that the youth are getting at home. So I praise God for you who are pouring into your children, and we see it. We see it in the kids who come here. We know when parents are pouring into their kids and when parents aren't. It's obvious. And I don't say that to hurt anybody's feelings, but to challenge you to step up and start doing what you should be doing if you're not doing it. There's nothing more urgent and more important than your own children, much less everybody else's. Number two, it is for youth in non-Christian homes to have a place to come and learn and to see and experience Jesus in their life. And so this is a challenge for you, youth, you peers. You need to be that example for your friends who are not growing up in a Christian home. You need to live your life as if today is the most important day and the decision that you make right now is going to make the difference as to whether or not your friend follows Jesus Christ or doesn't. Every single decision you make has to be predicated on that outcome. What do I look like to my friends? So that's another thing that youth group is for. And what else is it? It's something the entire church is responsible to participate in. I'm not asking all of you to come out on Wednesday night and play games with us. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is our youth ministry doesn't stop with the youth group. It doesn't stop with kids' church. It doesn't stop with ministries. 
it extends out to the way you live your life in front of these youth. You are a part of our youth ministry. They're watching you, they see you, and you need to be the example that they can look to. And so in conclusion, I hope that I've communicated that the Bible teaches us that ministering to our children and our youth is primarily the responsibility of the parents, that parents are not the only ones charged with this responsibility, but everybody here in this family is responsible for that. And that this is probably the most important and most urgent thing that we have in our lives right now. Amen.